um, for uh, today's message is called Speaking to Your Garden. And I was, the Lord was reminding me of times where I've seen people in the natural talking to their gardens. <laughs> and like, I have a friend one day, I was, she was hosting me at her house and we were doing conferences together. And I remember her coming out of her house and I was walking in front of her and she turns around now, you know, of course, we're Hispanic, so she's talking Spanish to her flowers. And she's like, ay, que preciosa, que bonita, ay, mi amor. And I'm like, who's she talking to? And I turn around, and I'm like, who's she talking to? She goes, oh, I'm talking to my flowers. And I said, what? I said, you're talking to your flowers? And she goes, yes, you have to talk to them. You have to love on them. So that way they can grow and, 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 and produce for you, right? And I was, like, I was like, okay. And I think it's funny because I'm totally not a garden person. Like, my dad would give me plants all the time beautiful ferns and all kinds of stuff and he would deliver it in my house and everything and I was like oh it's so beautiful and then he would come like a week later and he's like what did you do to this and I was <laughs> he would get so upset with me and he would say it needs water to live you you killed it and I'm, and I'm like and I'm like I'm sorry I said I just been busy I forget uh, when Brandy was here, she tried to give me this little, uh, she's a, she loves to garden. And when she was here, she tried to give me this little, this little I think it was mint or, or something, some kind of herb she gave me. And I said, Brandy, I love you. I thank you for having faith in me to take care of this thing. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to die. And then she's like, what? She's like, no, Pasuelos, you need to go out there and you need to water it. You need to put it on your balcony and da da da. And I never ever did it. <laughs> she came back. She was all disappointed. I said, I try to warn you. I said, me and my dad had lots of these conversations throughout my whole entire life, and I've just never been that person. <laughs> and so, I was thinking of my dad this morning. I was as I was putting together this message. My dad had such an awesome green thumb. I mean, he, if something was dead, he would cause it to live again. When it came to plants or roses or any of that, people would bring him things that they didn't want. They would want to throw it away, and he would say, no, no, no. Let me plant it in my garden, and it'll, it'll come back to life. And they're like, okay, looking at him crazy. <laughs> he would take it home and replant it, and that thing would come back twice as beautiful than the original. And it was just so big. So... <clears throat> When I would try to take my plants back, he would say no. I was like, it's so beautiful again. Can I take it back home? He's like, no, you didn't take care of it. I'm not going to let you take it again. <laughs> and so my dad, when we would, we had like, I know here we don't have a lot of sidewalks, <laughs> but I lived in the city, and so we had sidewalks at our residential houses. So there was this big patch of grass, and then on the other side was a sidewalk, and then the house was there. So my dad, he always had roses right there on that big patch of land in front of our house. And every time we left or we, or we got in the car uh, to get, we got out of the car to come home, he would get out of the car and he would look at his flowers. Like that was his thing. 
So he would get out, and all of a sudden, this my dad was like this, you know, macho, serious man. But when it came to his flowers, something changed. And he would go up to his roses, because he loved roses, and he would grab them, and he's like, ay, que bonitos. Oh, look how pretty these roses are, he would say. But his voice would become like a child, and he would get so excited. And then when the grandkids would come over and try to cut him off, he would be so upset with them. And he would have them come from out playing outside to find out who cut the rose. And it's because they would cut him off to bring them to their moms. And he would say, who cut, the, who cut my roses? And he would just he would just get so upset with him. He's like, because it, there was work involved. When you have a garden, you got to keep that garden up. You got you to gotta take care of it. See, he was telling me something like a father does, and he was trying to teach me, you didn't take care of what I gave you. You know, you didn't take care of it, so now I had to come in and I had to take care of it for you. But when he came in to take care of it for me, it was just such a multiplication and such a blessing in it that it flourished even better than what it, it originally was. And so I'm, I'm going through these, through these moments with the Lord and putting the message together, speaking to your garden. And I'll never forget this moment. You know, some of you might remember our brother Van that was here. And we miss him dearly. He was so precious to all of us here. But I had a moment with him, and we, would, we were doing pantry one day. And we were sitting out here in the front. And I remember he was telling me, well, what do you want to do here in the front of the building here? And I was like, I was, like, I was real with him. <laughs> I said, Van, I said, I am not a person to take care of flowers. I said, so whatever it is, it needs just a little bit of water, a li uh, the bare minimum to take care of it. That's, I just don't do well with them. <laughs> he says, oh, so just, you know, a little bit of things. I said, yes. So <laughs> he was telling me about his garden. And we were having this discussion, you know, like nothing. And he says, well, he says, I don't think you'd like my garden. And I said, Why? And I said, I think gardens are beautiful. And he says, well, mine, I like, I like it messy. I don't like it super cleaned up and all proper where everything's lined up and everything, you know, is perfect. He goes, that's, that's not the way my garden is. And, and, I, and, and he's saying something, and I'm hearing it in the spirit. And the Lord begins to speak to me at that moment because he was letting me see Van's heart at that moment. And I remember sitting there and the Lord speaking to me as he's telling me about the garden. And he said, and the Lord begins, Holy Spirit says, yeah, he says, that's, that's what he loves. He sees the beauty even in the mess, even in the messy things. And he says, and then he says, he says, he says, the Lord begins to tell me, he says, that's why he embraces people that are a mess and broken that come in this place. And he loves them so well. When, when we were here and we would do pantry together, he would take time out for the one, Van Wood, and he would sit with them. And he would try to get them books or whatever he could to bless them while they were here. But that was the Father's heart inside of him for even, even in that. 
And so I was thinking about that, even putting the message together, and I was like, man, Lord, that that's the way your demonstration of your heart is towards us, that we're not perfect. Some think sometimes we're a mess, but you still see the beauty in us, that, that even in that, as we come to you, you're the one that comes in and does everything. See, my dad would take my plants and he would, he would do it for me and create that thing to flourish. And I believe right now the Lord's saying, okay, it's, it's pruning time, sweetheart. But in this pruning, let me do the pruning. Let me take care of the garden for you. Let me come in and what you don't understand, what you don't know what needs to be pruned. Like I could go into a garden and I would have no idea what needs to be cut or what needs to be done to make that garden back, come back. I just wouldn't. But the Lord was telling me, he's like, but in the spirit, you can go in and you can see, oh, this needs to go. That needs to go. Oh, that's not you, God. You didn't put that there. Oh, depression? Nope, you didn't give me that seed. And there's seeds inside of us that the Lord is trying to pull out of us from the root. And I remember times I had with the Lord where I would come up front and I would just say, God, I'm here. Pull everything inside of me that is not of you. Begin to pull it out from the root. Because if it doesn't get pulled out from the root, it will still come back later and reproduce. That's how patterns are created in our lives. And we don't realize it sometimes. So that's why you have those moments. Man, I thought I was over that offense. Oh, I thought I was over that situation. And all of a sudden something happens and boom, you get attacked with it again. And then you're like, man, how did that even happen? Well, it didn't get pulled out from the root. You, you sat with the Lord just enough to make yourself feel better. But you didn't sit with the Lord enough in intimacy where he could pull the root out. So we satisfy for the surface things sometimes. But the Lord wants to take us to a deeper place right now. See, because it all started in the garden. It all goes back to the place in the garden of intimacy. The garden to me is always represented as an intimate place. In Genesis 2, it said, So the creation of heavens and the earth and everything in them, this, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was a day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Then if we keep reading, it says, when the, uh, the man and the woman in Eden, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. There were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Think about that for a moment. Let's go back for a moment. In Genesis 4, and then keep reading all down to 7, 
Rain didn't exist in the garden. Springs of life came from the ground that watered the plants, that watered everything in the garden. Rain didn't come till Noah. They didn't know what it was because the land took care of itself. There was nobody there to cultivate the soil. It says it in there. It says, it says, God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. He hadn't produced man yet. So there was nobody there to dig up, to, to plant things. It was all him in, in the works of creation that he did all this. And then the springs of life came up and fed every part of the garden. The garden was totally dependent on God. Think about it. It was not about man. It was totally dependent on God. Then if we go to verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in the east. And then, and isn't that amazing? The Lord God planted a garden on, uh, in, Easton, in, in the Eden in the east. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch was called Pison, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatech, reason, and oxen stone are also found there. The second branch called uh, Gihon flowed around the entire land of the Gush, and the third brand, uh, branch called Tigris flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is Ephrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He was already giving them authority. They were the watchers of the land in that moment. He had already given a man, you have authority, you're, this is your land, watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. <clears throat> he tells him, why didn't he want him to eat from the tree of good and evil? Because at that moment, there was no evil that existed. They didn't know what evil was. They didn't know. They, they, everything was pure at that moment. The garden was pure. Everything was pure. God had given them their, the authority, given Adam the authority over the land. He says, watch over it. Genesis 3, 3 through 22. Then we come to the point, the man and the woman sinned. The serpent was the shrewdest of the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? We've shared this many times. 
did God really say to do this? Did God really say to do that? And we question what God said. God doesn't change his mind. In our emotions, we convince ourselves that he changed his mind, but he does not change his mind. And until you say yes to Jesus and do the very thing he's asking you to do, you will not move on to the next thing until you do the first thing he gave you to do. I learned that the very hard way, let me tell you. <laughs> of course, we may eat from the tree, <laughs> eat from fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we were not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. How many times have we heard that from the lying devil of deception? That it's okay to do something. It's okay to be a certain way and make certain decisions in your life and tell you you're not going to die from it. You could have scientific proof in front of you that that thing's going to kill you. And you still <laughs> will do it. Because of the deception of the serpent that has come to light that we entertain and we agree with. This is what happened here. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree, we're on verse 6. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame of their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. At that moment, shame came into the garden. I say that because some of us have gone in parts of our lives where we've lived in shame in areas of our life. That shame was never meant to be in our garden, ever. But when you agree with the enemy and the devil in certain areas of your life, then it opens the door for the, for the enemy to come in to deceive you and to put shame on you. Shame didn't start in the sin you created. Shame started in the garden. That's, that's the main part it came in through. Because all of a sudden, they were shameful. They realized they were naked. Shame fell on them. And then they didn't look the same anymore. How their eyes processed things was not the same anymore. Adam had been walking in the cool of the day with God before any of this happened. He had intimate moments with God. He could hear God walking in the garden with him. I don't care how long you've been a Christian or believer. All of us have our moments of deception. None of us can it, uh, 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 act like we just know so much of the word or so much of who he is and not think we can one day be deceived because that's what we have to cling. We were talking about clinging to his robe this morning. 
the robe of the righteousness. We have to cling to it. Why? Because only he's going to show us where we've been deceived or misled by the devil. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? When you're living in sin, you don't want to go to church. You don't want to go anywhere near people who are believers. You want to run so far away from the things of God because of the shame that's on you. That's what they did. God comes on the scene walking in the garden. He's calling from, for them, and he's calling them out. And because of what they've just entertained and fell in, into deception, now they don't see themselves the same. They have the shame on them, and all of a sudden they're hiding from God. But yet weeks before that, they were walking with God. That's how the devil comes in and takes us away from the things that he has for us. And people think it's just sin. Well, I'm not sinning. I'm good. No, are you working more hours than you are spending with God at your job? Are you so involved with golf? or Not that those things are bad, but when those things become idols to you and you do that more than sitting with God, there's a problem there. Because there's an intimacy he wants to have with all of us. The intimacy has to come with you walking with him in the garden. Because if we don't have that intimacy, that's how the serpent comes in. And the serpent will go so wild that you can't catch the serpent. Because it becomes uncontrollable. The addiction, whatever the lust, whatever it is you've agreed with and you've entertained becomes so out of control, it creates weeds in your garden that takes away from the beauty of what your garden was originally supposed to look like. And all of a sudden, you have this wild weeds growing everywhere, and the beauty's there, but you can't see it. You can't see the beauty in yourself because all the shame and all this mess is, is corrupting your mind that you can't even see the beauty in yourself of how God sees you because you've entertained the deception. And the serpent has come and lied to you over and over and over again. How you're not worthy. How you, ha you should be walking in shame. Oh, how dare you think that you could pray for people. Oh, you want to be in ministry now? Oh, but you just did this the other day. The I've been there, done that. But that's the serpent lying to you. It didn't change. Verse 12. The man replied, it was a woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. That sounds pretty fleshy to me. It was that pastor you gave me. It was that leader that was in my life at the time that caused me to step into this deception that made me run from God. It was that husband, that wife you gave me at the time that brought me so much pain and hurt 
that now I'm running from God. It's their fault. I don't want to take responsibility for me. I went and had an affair because my husband didn't love me the way I felt I should be loved. My wife didn't love me the way I felt I should have been loved. So that gave me the right to walk in deception. Let's just be real. We blame everything else in our lives for the lies of the serpent. And God says, it's time to pull those rooted things that are inside of you. That have caused you to stumble, that have caused you to fall in a pattern over and over and over again. That make you not even feel anything in your heart anymore because you become so raw. That God wants to come and, and make your heart come alive again to feel something again. But he can't because all you can see is the, those deceiving things. Then the, we're on verse, verse 13. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Verse 14, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, and you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. I will, I, I, he will uh, strike your head and you will strike his, knee, his heel, then said the woman. And then it just keeps going on of the decisions God made at that moment. But if you think that your decisions don't affect generations to come, you have been misled. Adam's decision, Eve's decision that day changed the generations for many. The decisions we're making right now will affect the generations to come. Whether we like it or not, it has an impact on the next generations that are coming. That is why it's so important for us to talk about the serpent and his deception and how much he lies to you and makes you believe things that you would even do self-harm to your body believing the lie. When Jesus came, he came as the last Adam. When he came, it was finished. He came to take back the garden. He came back to that place where Adam walked in the cool of the day that we could go back and partake of that now in a now time. He came as the last Adam because he had to, because he came back with restoration to restore everything back that the enemy stole. In one moment, everything was given back to us. And the way that it was lost, it came back to us. In 1 Corinthians 15:45, the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. 
He's a life-giving spirit. He came back to bring life to us, resurrection power. Resurrection in us lives inside of us. We are called to resurrect things all around us. You know what happened with Adam after he fell? God took him out of the garden, and then he gave him an assignment to cultivate the land. Up until that point, there didn't have to be any cultivating. He didn't have to go physically labor on the land. It was already done for him. Listen to what I'm saying. Recently here... I've been going through Facebook, and people are giving away their fruit, their vegetables right now because they've had so many come from their gardens that they have so much that they don't know what to do with it. So they're putting it on Facebook and giving it away because we've gotten the most rain in the summertime this summer than we ever have had. It's not the farmers going out or the gardeners going out and attending their gardens. It's God sending the rain, the rain coming, saturating the land, and supernaturally it's being multiplied. But some of them don't know that, but I saw it in the spirit. And I said, God, <coughs> here we are in a so-called famine with inflation, <coughs> And here you come, sending the rain for the garden to grow and multiply. <coughs> that is we, why we can't go by what we see. But we move in faith and believe in the things we don't see. Because all of a sudden... Things begin to grow and spring up and multiply when you least expect it. That's the kind of Lord we serve. If we keep reading there, it says, <clears throat> I believe right now, God right now is speaking to our barren wilderness. <laughs> how the word of God says it. And he wants to shift our barren wilderness to joy and gladness. He wants to shift some things inside of us. He's pruning us. He's getting a rooting up things that he never put there. The things that you went through your life that you feel that the enemy came and stole from you, God didn't do that. So he has to come and uproot those things of the trauma and the torment and all these things. He needs to come uproot them, and he needs to replace them with good seeds. You can't remove something and not put something there. One night we were here in worship on a Thursday night, and me and Apostle Pete, we had the same encounter about a seed that came. And that seed brought a new song, and it brought joy and gladness with it. And I know he has more on it because I know he saw some other things, but that's just like just a tidbit 
of the new seed that God wants to give us this season. Isaiah 51.3. It's songs of thanksgiving that will be birthed again. That's what he's trying to do even in our worship. <clears throat> he's trying to birth thanksgiving again. I didn't know they were going <coughs> to sing the songs they sang this morning. But Jesus did. Isaiah 51.3. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. Her desert <coughs> will blossom like Eden. Her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. <coughs> He's after your joy because it's your strength. If you're happy, it changes your whole entire day. If you're sad and depressed or angry or mad, guess what? You use up more energy. And you're exhausted and you're tired. You just want to sleep sometimes because you're so exhausted. But when you're full of joy and you're excited and you're in Thanksgiving all day with the Lord, for every part that you have in your life, your whole day shifts, and your whole day changes. And we get to choose what kind of day we're going to have. From the moment we wake up out of bed. The new seed is coming with a new sound of joy in it. We've got to be full of joy. We've got to be happy. We've got to be excited. Nobody, if you ask anybody, nobody wants to be pruned. They don't want to go through the work. You have a garden in the natural. You don't really want to go out and pull weeds and clean the garden. It's a lot of work. The sun's blaring down in some areas of the, of the different states. It's hotter in others, colder in others. Nobody wants to deal with all the work involved with pruning the garden. That's just the truth. But we love to eat what comes out. We're right there when the watermelons and the cantaloupes come out fresh out of that garden. We're right there when that fresh fruit comes, the strawberries come up or the blueberries come up. That's why we go to all these little stalls that sell fresh fruit and vegetables everywhere. We want the good stuff. We don't want the stuff that's full of chemicals sitting in the grocery store. Let's be real. Everybody's all about organic now. <laughs> Speaking to your garden is key this season. You got to go in there. You got you to speak to your garden. There are seeds in us that we haven't yet discovered that are still in us. They haven't even taken root and have grown yet. God is saying, get planted somewhere so those seeds can begin to grow. There's a, there, there's a cultivating of your garden that you have to do. And if you were to ask any farmer or a person who takes care of a harvest and the cultivation of that land, they would laugh because they understand the work involved in it. They, I see them. They're up at 5 o'clock in the morning. 
the farmers out here. I see all the lights on in the house. They're up at 5 o'clock in the morning taking care of the land. Why? Because they know what it produces. They know that at the end of it all, they're going to get back a harvest so big that they're going to be able to live in that in the winter months. Past the winter months, sometimes if they have a good harvest. And that's where the Lord's trying to show us, even with the Lord right now. He's been wearing us down, wanting us to give up. And because we've entertained those voices of deception, we lost the part where he wants us to uproot those things and cultivate the garden within ourselves. We believe the lie, so then we stop the work of the Lord inside of ourselves. Everything stops when you believe the lie of deception. You don't want to praise anymore. You don't want to worship anymore. You don't want to go to church anymore. You don't want to do things of God anymore. All of a sudden, you isolate yourself. You're at home every day. You don't want to come out. God didn't create you to be that. <clears throat> John 15, 2. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Guess what? You come to the Lord and you let him prune you. Because the Father does a better job than we do. He cultivates the garden inside of us so great. And at the end of the pruning, guess what? More fruit, even more fruit is produced from it. I had moments with God where I would be up in the altar and I would be begging God, God, pull this root out. I don't want to battle with it anymore. I don't want it to be warfare in my life anymore. I don't want to carry that thing anymore inside of me. I'm tired. I'm done with that. I don't want that in my life anymore. And then he would come, and I would literally see in the spirit him pulling stuff out. And it was painful sometimes because he takes you back to those moments of deception in your life. And you got to face it face on. Because if you pretend like it didn't happen and it's not there, it's going to ruin your whole garden. But I've learned you've got to hit it head on and say, that thing, that lust, whatever it is that's hard for you, whatever it is that is the temptation for you, like the tree that was a temptation for Eve, get rid of it. Say, God, get rid of this thing. I'm tired of being tossed to and fro. I'm tired of having identity issues and not knowing who I am in you because of this one seed that's still there that has grown wild inside of me, that I've, I've come to an agreement and deception with those things in my life, that it has stopped me from doing kingdom business. What kind of fruit are we trying to produce? Galatians 5:22 through 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's what we're trying to produce inside of us. Why? Because we want to look like our Father. We want to look more like you, Jesus. Okay, let me pull some roots out. Let me prune some things in the garden. Let me take some things away that I never put there. Go through the process with me. So that way, when that thing shows up on your front door again, knocking, saying, hey, I'm here again. Depression, addiction, whatever it is, it's hard for you. When it comes knocking on your door, you're going to say, oh, I've already been there, done that. It doesn't affect me anymore. There's no roots left inside of me from that thing. So it can't reproduce itself anymore. It can't create a place inside of me because I've already replaced that thing with love. I've already replaced that thing with joy. I've already replaced that thing with peace. I've already replaced that thing with forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And there's no room for that thing anymore. Apostle Pete was talking about God saying, make room for me. Make room in the garden to be with the Lord in intimacy. So you can bear the good fruit, the fruits of the spirit that he really wants you to be manifested in in those moments. And you're like, well, in Galatians 3, 12 through 13, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of, of mind, meekness and long suffering. Humbleness of mind, humility. Some of, us, some of us have to get back to the place of humility. Not thinking we know it all. We know what's best. I know what's best for me. No, really you don't. God knows what's best for you. And what you thought was best for you really wasn't best for you. <laughs> I'm just being transparent this morning. <laughs> Jesus had his moments in the garden. What he tells, is asking us to do right now is not anything he didn't go through. In Matthew 26 through 30, uh, 20, chapter 26, verses 36 through 46, Jen, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and I pray. See, the garden is where he would go pray and be intimate with God. And he took Peter and two sons of Jebedi with him and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to him, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face. And prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let not yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew he had to go to the garden to pray. Why? Because Jesus was made of flesh. He knew he had to be so close to God and pray to God that he would not fall for any other deceiving. Why? Because the enemy came to him and tempted him. He promised them the kingdoms, remember? And then he reminded him what it said in the word of even past prophecies. It's written. So here's Jesus again, and he goes back to the, into the garden. You know when he went back to the garden? After, after his, uh, um, he was grieved. What was grieving him? He had just had the meal with the disciples. He had had supper with them. That's when he discovered about Judas betraying him. He was grieved. He took on the pain of grieving and that deep sorrow, just like we, we do when we experience something in our own lives. He went through that. Somebody betrayed him. It was such an awful betrayal he went through with Judas. And what's the first thing he does after the betrayal? He went to go pray. After we go through things in our life, we have to go back to the garden and we have to pray. But sometimes we get pulled away in other areas of our life to go do something else of busyness that we forget to go pray. That's wisdom right there. Jesus was teaching us wisdom. Okay, I'm going to be tempted. I'm going to go through some betrayal. Okay, let me get in the garden again so I can pray and seek your face, God, because I'm not going to let the devil come rob and steal from me and take me somewhere where I shouldn't go. He goes back the second time, praying in verse 42. My father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will would be done. That his will would be done in our lives, not our own will. That's a hard thing for some of us. We're stubborn. We're hard-headed. Whose will are you about right now, his will or your own will? Go back to the garden, and I promise he'll show you what will you're under right now. If you're under your own will, doing your own thing, or you're about his business and his will. The intimacy. Jesus had just been betrayed. He came broken and hurt, and he called out to God and said, God, if you just let this cup pass me, God. Some of us need to go to the garden and say, God, I'm going through this bad situation in my life. I'm here broken before you. But if it's your will, God, let the cup pass by me. See, God is always there to meet you in the garden. The garden he went to was the Garden of Gethsemane. It was on the mountain olives. What did the olive represent? The oil, the anointing. 
The garden is where you're going to get your anointing from. Because it's the time of pressing that you go through in your life that produces the oil that God wants to produce out of you. That now you're not moving in your own will, your own doing, but something is pressed out of you. Falling to your face, praying to God and saying, God, come and teach me, Lord. Prune me. Take everything away. I have nothing else to give, God. All I have is is what you've given me, God. And then he comes in and he sits with you in the place in the garden. And he shows you the springs that are still there. That he died for on the cross that those streams would still be moving till today. And he refreshes you in the garden. And he lets you drink from those streams of life. (laughs) And then he shows you where the devil came in to deceive you. And then he gives you his will on your life. (laughs) And you walk out of the garden a brand new person. You walk out of the garden a brand new person. Like if the devil never came to tempt you or mess with you. And you come out and you're like, man, I got some new seeds in me. Man, I can't wait to see what the seeds produce. The seeds that Jesus placed in me. Man, I can't wait to sit with God and eat from the fruit that is in me. See, because in those dark times where the devil comes to tempt you and lie to you, you go back to the garden and God allows you to eat of the fruit of the seeds he placed inside of you. And then you have a buffet table set before you. Why does the buffet table, but I have a table set before my enemies. Judas became his enemy when he betrayed him. And then he says, I have a table set before my enemies. A big old buffet table. Well, how did that get produced? Because the seeds that God puts in us to produce good fruit. That we don't only just produce enough fruit for ourselves. But we produce so much fruit that we give it away. Man, I got so much fruit. I don't know what to do with it. I got baskets and baskets and baskets of fruit. And I don't know what to do with it. But hey, I'm going to put it on Facebook and say, anybody have need? It's inflation supposedly in the, in the world right now. Anybody need any free food? Our resources are from heaven, which means he he owns every cattle, right? (laughs) I could keep going in this. (laughs) He tries to stop you from running your race. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such 
a great cloud of witnesses, let us all lay aside every weight and sin which clings so, cl so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He wants you to entertain those things because he wants you to stop running your race. He's scared of you running your race. He's so scared. He knows that when you get up, I mean, we buy these little plaques and these little things. The moment your feet hit the ground, the devil's scared. But it's true. He knows that. He's like, man, if they can get it, what was stolen then and it was given back to them. They're as righteous as Jesus now. They're fully whole, fully made whole in the garden. Now they got seeds in them that produce good fruit, so much fruit that they're giving it away now. Man, it'll change the world. Because it just keeps going. And going the reproduction. First Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven. Do you know that in that race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one's beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I have friends, they're all about eating healthy and, and, and building their muscle and, and going to the gym every day. And I'm like, that's the way it is in the spirit of your soul. You got to keep your soul healthy. You don't keep your soul healthy, it affects your whole entire body. It creates sicknesses in your body that weren't there before. Doesn't matter how healthy you eat, how much you work out. The soul is what feeds everything else. It's the garden. <clears throat> Philippians 3.13 through 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, G in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Let's just stand this morning. Any of y'all need to forget what lies behind? What's all the stuff in the past? Even before you got here this morning, if you struggled and had a hard time this morning, Man, I've been there. I remember telling God I wasn't going to go to church one day. I don't want to go today. I'm tired of doing conferences, and I'm tired of going to church. And I'm just being real. 
He says, okay, but you got to go. It's okay that you feel that way, but you still have to go. <laughs> I love the Lord. I'm real with him. He's real with me. <laughs> He's like, I understand how you feel, but you still have to go. And I went, and that day I had the most incredible encounter with the Lord. The Lord told me this this morning, Galatians 5, 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It wasn't the Lord. We convince ourselves, well, I just think God just has something different for me this season. I just think he's moving me from here to over here. You don't know how many people I've had to counsel. My husband has had to counsel because they said God said. But it was for their own benefit and not for the leading of the Lord. But when you're in deception, you don't see it. When you're in deception, you can be deceived and you don't even know you're being deceived to follow the wrong voice. And you can go hear a radio broadcast about that. <laughs> We're just real with people. We talk about real things because we know what it's like to be in those moments. I'm never going to deny being in deception at times in my life. Because those are the moments that made me strong in him. It was my weaknesses. It's your weaknesses that make you strong in the things of God. That's why when you fall seven, seven times, and as long as you keep getting up, that's all that matters. I'm praying and asking God if I'm supposed to share this today. So I'm going to be real with you right now. But for the past two weeks, I've been in a fight. And I'm not going to deny the fight. But this morning, I had a vision in worship. And see, the way the Lord talks to me is how I understand. The way he talks to you is going to be different because it's the way you'll understand. But I saw... a. I went in and I saw um, the movie trailer of the movie Rocky. And I saw Rocky in the ring and he kept taking the punches and kept taking the punches. And as soon as he would get up, another punch would come and take him out. And then another punch would come and take him out. And for the past two weeks, that's what it's been like for me. It's like I, we, would, we, would, we would do something and then another punch would come. And then we'd get back up. Okay, we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving forward. We got to get up. We got to keep fighting. And then another punch would come and something else would happen. And I began to ask the Lord about this.
See, the name Rocky, you know what that name means? It means the dweller by the rock. Who's the rock? <laughs> Jesus is the rock of our salvation. <laughs> I love the way God talks. <laughs> then I went to another scene in this vision I had. And his coach at the time, his name was Mickey Goldmill. And I heard Mickey's voice say, get up, you son of a... Everybody knows the bad word. <laughs> but I heard the Lord say that. I heard the Holy Spirit say, get up. Get up, you don't stay down on the ground. Don't you know who you are? It doesn't matter the punches and the blows you take. As long as you get up. You know that name Mickey means a gift from God? And the gold mill was his last name. You know what a mill does? It grinds things up. The Lord was talking to me about this before service, and he says, I'm grinding up some things in you. That's all that's left is gold. They used to have hand grinders back when Jesus was around, and they would hand grind all their stuff. And you know, that was the only item in your house that you couldn't go pond. You could never go sell your grinder, your meal. There's a reason for that. the process of the blows, hope deferred, try to come sit in. I'm speaking to you prophetically. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Who planted the trees? God did in the garden. We read about it today. God planted the trees of life in the garden. He did it himself. Was it man who planted the trees of life? He did. When I heard that voice say, get up. In Song of Solomon 2.10, we're his bride. It was the bride that had been beaten up. Song of Solomon 2.10 says, My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. He's talking to the bride right now, and he's saying, Get up, my beautiful one, my beloved Get up and walk in the cool of the day with me again. Let's walk together again. Just get up. See, the enemy doesn't want you to know the second part of what happens after being in hope deferred that makes your heart sick. That the dreams come true 
of the tree of life. I play this game, and then the first thing that pops up that says dream every time I play. <laughs> Your dream is connected to him. So that's why that's the very thing that stops the process when you've been deceived by the enemy that he wants to stop you from dreaming. Having dreams at night. I used to get all kinds of dreams and then my dreams stop. I don't know what happened. I had visions all the time and I don't know what happened. Then your heart gets sick and, and, and you feel you've done something wrong. And God's saying... You're my beloved. You're my beautiful. <laughs> Rise up. You've listened to the lie of the enemy too long. Proverbs 24, 16. For the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. But the unrighteous are brought down by just one clematity. One hit they're brought down. The unrighteous, when they get knocked down, they can't get up. But Jesus has made all of us righteous because of the cross. So guess what? It doesn't matter how many times you've gotten hit and attacked. You still get up because you're as righteous as Jesus because of what he did on the cross for you. First John 2 29 if you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him when you're born again when you receive your salvation when you say I give my life to you God boom that's when righteousness fell upon you righteousness doesn't come upon you because of something great you've done or because you've made good decisions all this time until now time. Righteousness has fallen upon you because he's made you righteous because of who he is, because he's righteous. Lord, we just pray right now, Lord. Take us back to the garden, Lord. Let us see the things that are there, God, that you didn't put there, Lord. Let it be uprooted this morning, Lord. And let it be gone, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you bring the seeds of the fruits of the Spirit to replace every part that was never from you to be inside of us, Lord. That we don't have any voids in our life. Because we have the replacing seeds of the fruits of the Spirit to come take place of the things, the seeds the enemy tried to plant inside of us to deceive us, Lord. And we pray that the eyes would be open, the ears would be open this morning to hear and see clearly all that God is speaking for the sole purpose of your kingdom that it will come to earth God through each one of us that your heavens would be manifested in this place God in our homes God every
of who you are will come into our houses, God, because we've chosen to go back to the garden and of intimacy with you, God. Take everything away that's not of you, God. Say it right now. Say it to the Lord. Say, take everything, God, that's not of you, God. Take it out of me, God. I don't want it anymore, Lord. Every temptation, every struggle, every hardship that you've been tempted with. Take it away, God. And you replace the seeds today, Lord, that they would take root, that people will begin to get planted, Lord, and they, their seeds will begin to take root and grow beautifully, <laughs> and that the increase would come over every seed that you're replacing what the enemy put there, that you're replacing the seeds today and increase. Just like Apostle Pete was saying, that's going to cost you. <laughs> Doesn't it just bring you such joy just to say it? Just say it right there where you're at. That's going to cost you, devil. He's waking up some uh, sleepy lions right now. <laughs> and the roar is going to come out real soon here. I had, I, had a, I had somebody send me this message. It's time for the roaring lions to wake up. <laughs> and I, the Lord just put it in my spirit right now. I believe it's time for the roaring lions to wake up. What happens when the, land, when the lion wakes up and takes over the land again? everything has to bow down before that lion because he's the, he's the one in charge of all the pride. <laughs> Instead of you beckoning to things, things need to start beckoning to you. <laughs> Got to let that thing spring up and come out. Some of you need to go home and make declarations in your home. It's not what the devil says. It's what God says. <laughs> so, God, we just thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you for all you've given us, Lord. For the new seeds. For the uprooting of those things that you didn't give us, Lord. And for the new garden, as Apostle Pete was saying, of commissioning that you're giving us today, Lord. <laughs> the new garden that's going to spring up from the rain, <laughs> from the springs of life, Lord. Those rivers that run in the garden in heaven, God, that those same rivers would begin to run over our souls, over our gardens, Lord, 
And it will cause such reproduction that we're going to have such an overflow of your goodness. We're not going to even know what to do with it, Lord. <laughs> testimony after testimony. Goodness after goodness. <laughs> he will outgive us. <laughs> I just feel the joy of the Lord coming here. I just began to see baskets and baskets and baskets of just overflow of stuff. Thank you, Lord, for the overflow, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.